Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat mother of three, and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. Disclaimer time. This is where I tell everyone to lighten up. It's just a podcast. Trading is like that roller coaster at the amusement park. Thrilling, unpredictable, and potentially stomach-churning. What works for one person might leave another clutching their hat in the wind. Our hosts and guests, they're awesome, knowledgeable, full of insights, but we're not financial advisors. So don't rush to make any investment decisions based solely on our banter. Always consult with a professional or do your own research. Plus, let's face it, we like to have fun, laugh, enjoy the trading ride together. It's all in the name of good podcasting fun. So remember, take it easy, don't bet the farm, and keep your seatbelts on at all times. Thank you for listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the China Shop, home of the Band of Traders podcast, and also known as the Brick Breaker Club. I'm your host, Kyle, and joining me tonight from Vanta Trading, we've got Mr. Banks and Bear Goes Along, along with our special guest, friend and economist, Eric Mason. Since we're lucky enough to get the top economist in New England on tonight's show, we're going to have more of an open forum. Is he <laughs> maybe, coming on later? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll let Eric take a big crap on bricks. Maybe we'll discuss trading bonds. Maybe we'll spend an inordinate amount of time dissecting the symbolisms depicted on medieval banners. I don't know, and you're going to have to listen to find out. Uh, before I open up the mics, let's get the self-promotion crap out of the way. So for us coming out on Thursday, we got an episode with Dan Passarelli. And then following that, there will be the next installment of our economic series featuring Banks, myself, and Eric. Uh, you can follow us at you can follow us on Twitter at Financial Inept One, or you can join the Discord if you want to get updates or send in suggestions for future topics and guests. And you can visit bandatraderspodcast.com to browse the guest directory, check out the deals and discounts we collected over the years, and stay up to date on all the latest mini series. Banks, you got anything to report uh, over at Banta? Uh, nothing particularly new. Um, you know, obviously we just changed the discord around a little bit. We went down, um, in our monthly rate to, uh, 35 bucks a month, kind of opening up the discord, uh, get, you know, more people involved. And, um, you know, I think it's been, you know, more lively and, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's been great over there the last, you know, week or two. It's been really awesome. The engagement's been picking up, I've been loving it. Um, Eric, you got any live events coming up that we can heckle you at? Oh, yeah, first of all, I, yeah, I always love Declan. Uh, yeah, March 30th, I'm doing a, te- I'm doing a TEDx talk uh, in Boston. 
for some reason they still haven't let us release the organization doing it so we're hoping that maybe the next week still doing their background checks on you yeah hopefully which <laughs> means that they probably won't let me talk that's the that'd be the, the smart move uh but you can follow me at, at eric james mason um on twitter for, and i'll keep that updated or follow me on linkedin because i still use linkedin because i'm 75 years old i still put stuff on linkedin every now and then. i do more on linkedin than i do on instagram yeah. <laughs> what about you bear got anything uh to share with the group or where can people follow you i mean uh, the most active place i am is uh at goes bear on twitter under or search for bear goes long and um make sure to check out the the recent interview with kyle and cleo that uh was published oh god yeah that two weeks ago one. yeah yeah i'll make sure i link that one um uh, yeah, all that stuff actually we'll put that in the links but uh i think uh i think for now we just open up the microphones and just kind of have kind of a free-for-all here so anything economics uh related is on the table if uh, anybody wants any questions they want to ask or want to so talk about slight, yeah slightly off topic when i logged in for the just for the pre-show i heard people talk about firefighters and i am repping my quincy fire department swag so mm, I, don't, okay. I don't, I don't, I don't know what we were talking about firefighters, but I'm, I'm all in on that. Uh, Bear is actually yeah. a volunteer firefighter, right? Yeah, I'm a volunteer firefighter, right. and then uh, literally today I just got the email. I passed my EMT test Dude. yesterday. So, oh, congratulations! Um, oh, awesome. congrats! I'm now a firefighter EMT. Woo. Awesome. Just, just got back from the celebration dinner too, right? Yeah, yeah. I went out for a nice prime rib. Oh, no, I, I, I added to the economy, the local economy. Yeah. Okay. Now, challenging question: How do you get your prime rib cooked? Oh God, rare. I can't. I do my prime. I slice it into a ribeye and then put it on the grill. That's how I do mine. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I, not a big fan of prime rib. I, I feel like it's got mm-hmm. just like a little bit of flavor on the rings where the smoke penetrates, and the rest of it is just kind of bland to me. Yeah, right. yeah, that's that's why I like my horseradish, but uh, <laughs> I do love horseradish though. That's yeah, that's a good call. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, my my secret steak tip is I buy the uh, the twenty pound packers of uh, boneless ribeye at Costco, mm-hmm. and then you put them in the fridge and you wedge wet age them because they'll sit in a vacuum sealed bag for months. Yeah, uh, wet age them in there, oh, and then cool. I pull them out and uh, slice them up into steaks. <laughs> nice, nice. My grandfather was a chef for 50 years, and whenever he'd be sitting in a restaurant and hear somebody order like a well-done prime rib, just enraged him. <laughs> World War II, never really bothered that man. Well-done prime rib, rage. I got, yeah. I got <laughs> one of my daughters. Just an insult to the cow. I got one of my daughters who'll eat a steak the proper way. The other one always wants it well done, so I always get her like a top sirloin. The other one gets to eat the, the, you know, the New York prime strips with me. <laughs> Going to nice. a steakhouse tomorrow night for dinner, so maybe, maybe I'll go. I don't know, maybe I'll go ribeye. I do very much like ribeyes. Ribeye, yeah, yeah, porterhouse, porterhouse is always good too. Yeah, ribeye's got everything you need. All, all the nutritional quality, or, uh, nutritional value your body needs. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> amen. You know, ironic to kind of you know this discussion when it comes to you know, a little bit on the fire department. We're getting ready to sell like a five point two million dollar uh, firefighter uh, bond for a new fire apparatus mm-hmm. um, at the city and. It's taken us 28 months just to get a new ladder truck, like to have it built from the ground up. Yep. Jeez. These supply chains are nuts. Like 28 months when I first started, we were like nine months to get a custom built ladder truck and they were like a million bucks. Now we're paying just for a ladder truck $2.1 million in 28 months. Crazy. Yeah. So our, uh, uh, both of our ambulances are 20 years old, uh, 18 and 20 years old. And we ordered, we got a state grant because we, we have no funding. We get no tax funding. It's all self-funded donations. 
So we got a state grant to buy a new ambulance three years ago. And we've the latest is it will be delivered in May. God, $170,000 for an empty ambulance, just a shell. And then it's going to cost us another $100,000 to put the equipment inside of there. I, we bought we bought fire trucks a little while ago and i got a bill afterwards and they were like oh yeah we need two hundred thousand dollars eric for to outfit it and i was like why didn't include yep. that when we bought it that would have been cool like what's the point of the empty <laughs> fire truck nope by the way one of the things i love about local government i now know how much a jaws of life costs like forty five thousand yep. dollars i was like like this is a cheap one there's an eighty thousand dollar version i was like well, first well, off i, I kind of want the eighty thousand dollar version if we have to use it but it's fairly expensive well okay so but then electric or hydraulic I think this was hydraulic. Funny thing, after I complained about not getting, not knowing that in time, there was a car crash right in front of City Hall. I even have a video of it, and I got to watch them use it. And I was like, all right, now I feel weird complaining about this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm no. happy we have it. No, find out, find out the next time they're doing a training session and go out there. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, we do it about three times a year. We buy a junk car and slice it up and Sick. practice. It's fun. We- we have uh, we have one of those tiller ladder trucks, you know, where like the Kramer drives it in the back style. And the fire chief, <laughs> I, the, our fire chief's awesome, man. He's one of my favorite people. He's a gold, for like I don't know, he's also a gold, bo- uh, gold glove boxer, which is just my favorite thing oh, in the world. Cool. Uh, but that type of attitude, guy's amazing. He's wicked young too. He's like in his uh, like late forties, already. He's fire chief, and uh, he said to me, he's like, you know, he's like, I'm the guy who goes up there and t- I mean, city council is wicked supportive of fire trucks, but like I'm the guy who goes up there and you know argues for it and. We, we recently did this new system for new kits to try and reduce some of the cancer rate in firefighters and these like fancy washing machines too. Uh, so I'm usually like that. The guy goes in there and says all the math numbers when, when we're up there. And he's like, you got to come down here and drive the tiller truck. And you know, I grew up in an auto body shop. So fire trucks nice. like top one thing I want to drive. Mm-hmm. Just, I just scared <laughs> we're going to break it. <laughs> I'm, gonna have to, I'm the person who has to pay for it if I break it. That just scares me. <laughs> well, now you know how much it costs. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, yeah. that's what's scary about I see those guys yeah. speeding and I'm like, slow down. You're so expensive when you think you're driving. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, one of our, uh, one, one of our neighboring uh, fire departments has actually rolled two trucks in the last three years. Hitting corners too fast. Sounds like they got Purdue's, somebody. Purdue's employees driving for them. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, Eric, you mentioned the selling a $5 million bond to pay for this truck. Can you kind of walk us through that process? Because I think when you do bond trading, like you're like an originator, right? So it's different yeah. than like some of the other guys here that trade the futures on it. Yeah. So I'm like, uh, yeah, so we're yeah, 100% right, Kyle. So we're considered originators by by the feds, by specifically the IRS. Um, so it's a pretty it's a pretty lengthy process. Very, it's like heavily legally involved. It's way more legal than finance, to be honest. Uh, you know, it starts like due diligence calls, where I basically get on a call with all my uh, with a bunch of attorneys who write my you know preliminary offertory statement, mm-hmm. um, and then that rolls into a ratings call with S and P. we're in the we're in the market like four times a year. So uh, most municipalities are only in the market like once a year, once every two years. So we actually follow like a corporate issuance cycle. Uh, but really, it's like a composition bond. So it's five point two million. I'm going to be spending about four point four million on uh, the ladder truck and then two fire engines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I need another about six hundred k, give or take, for the equipment to up, to outfit each one of those trucks. And then I'm going to need another like a couple hundred thousand dollars to outfit the stations because you know quincy's wicked old we're, we're celebrating our 400th anniversary next year so all of our fire trucks never built for apparatus yeah yeah we're wicked old um <laughs> like so a lot of our firehouses weren't built for 
like Qu- Quincy was 260 years old when the first like professional fire uh, company was formed in the United States. So uh, we have to re-support our fire truck uh, or like the fire stations where the trucks go. Uh, so the fire trucks will bond them out for like 20 years. The equipment's 10 years and the public building improvements like 10 to 20 years. So we have to create this like ombre approach because we do negotiated debt. So uh, unlike competitive debt offerings, which most municipalities do, where everybody just, you know, whatever the whims of the day of the market are, mm-hmm. you know, everybody puts in their offer. We rip their offer. I mean, literally we rip open their offers. Um, and then whoever has the lowest price wins. Uh, we negotiate. So mm-hmm. we start about eight o'clock, we, two weeks before we'll start marketing. We start marketing it, uh, marketing it to different uh, providers. We use a company, our primary underwriters, is a company called Ramirez and Company out of New York. They're, they're fantastic. Yeah, you know, we'll go through that process. They do a lot of advertisement. The day of, around 9 a.m., they open up. Uh, we usually have a kickoff call. We have this thing called Game Day, mm-hmm. uh, which shows every available tranche that somebody can buy into at each day's mark. And then it's we bid it. We take all the calls. We're usually five to eight times oversubscribed. And then over the course of the morning, we will crank down that interest rate. That the, and don't forget, I mean, you guys all know this. They're bonds. The coupon rate's fixed on them. We're not changing mm-hmm. the coupon rate. We're negotiating on premium here. Okay. Um, and we crank up that premium demand. So we lower the net interest cost or true interest cost, depending on how you want to look at it. And we cut that eight times over subscription down to about as close as we can to one. And then it's actually really cool. So you get on a call around noon, 1230. Uh and you sit down and you have um, one of the people from your underwriters will be like, all right. And they'll read off the spreads. Either they'll email to you before, mm-hmm. like a couple minutes before. Do you accept the spread at this? Do you accept the rate at this? Do you accept the rate at this? And you say, yes, 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 yes. And every yes you say is millions of dollars in some cases <laughs> for that agreement. So you're basically uh, like playing a game of chicken with all the, the potential buyers. You're like, oh, okay. Everybody wants it for this. Okay. How about now? Do you still yeah. want it? Yeah, well, t- well, I'll talk chicken. We went into the market when Russia invaded Ukraine. So it was that, oh my God, that was like almost two years ago. And we stayed in the market and everybody left. <laughs> and that, and like, it was you know, obviously a horrible situation, but it was, uh, everybody left the market. And one of our co-underwriters at the time, this company called Drexel Hamilton, you know, they were, they're a veteran owned firm. And, uh, you know, they awesome. mixed with Ramirez company who, you know, really knows this stuff. It was fantastic to uh, to really know when you have when you have people who know what they're doing. Like, I, like I'm a schmuck. Like, dude, I could build you a great econometric model. You want to do some IV or some diff and diff or, or you know, RDD? I'm I'm your man. Uh, but that true type of financial professional. I mean, they saved the city. You know, we were in the market for seventy seven million dollars. I mean, they saved the city at least two million dollars in interest. Wow. Um, because you know when you know, the world goes to shit, it's a flight to safety and. <laughs> We were the one of the only guys selling. Everybody else retreated. So it right. worked, it, but it was scary, man, because it's like we didn't know. We thought we, we thought we were going to hit way outside our margins on that. We did, but we ended up hitting under, which which helped. I think he just made a fan with ProShot. He uh, wants you to say less about Ivy. He's already in. <laughs> I made Discord up. What what's the? Uh, click on the little chat button. You should be able to see uh, people firing out things. Yeah, if you guys got questions in the audience, there just uh, type them in. We'll uh, we'll let Eric go free for all style here. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the the bonds that you're selling from the city they're they're tax advantaged for the buyers. Yeah, yeah. So they, in most cases, so uh, unless we we do a lot of development in Quincy, we have about uh, we have a downtown district that you know it's had about billion dollars in private investment going there. Uh, so we have about two hundred fifty million dollars in bonds down there uh, under something called a diff district improvement financing, uh, and 
that you got to be careful with because you have private use. So weird guys, weird weird thing. And I'm I'm uh, full disclosure. I'm on Tulsa University has an energy studies, so I'm obviously a little biased. I'm on their board, and uh, so everybody wants to put solar panels everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like that's everybody wants to put solar panels everywhere. All right, now we sell tax free bonds in most cases unless there's a private use component. Now, when you do a school, say Massachusetts, my school's cost me a hundred million bucks, so give or take, right? Uh, food service in the school. So that's a private company that uses, you know, our cafeteria area to bring in food. Mm-hmm. That's what most places do. All right. So that takes up your cafeteria. It takes up, say, 7% of your building. You're only allowed to have anywhere from 10 to 15% of the private use of that bond. So only 10 to 15% of that building can have people who are making profit on it. All right. Mm. So cafeteria takes up 7%. So they'll be like, oh, hey, we're going to put solar panels everywhere. Like, I agree. I have solar panels in my house. Like, I'm not anti-solar panel. They won't talk to me. And they'll be like, oh, we're looking to put solar panels on. I'm like, if you do that, I have to reissue an $80 million bond. <laughs> I sold that as tax rate. They're like, yeah, but it's good. I'm like, no, because unless the city buys the solar panels and puts them on there, manages that energy, which is not how that works in the United States. It's yeah. net metering is what every municipality does pretty much across the country. You actually incur a uh, – you actually force a bond to be taxable which is like a 150 basis point increase, let alone like 100 million bucks, 100 million bucks, I'm probably running one and a half million, two million in issuance costs. Wow. So I'm sitting there like, oh, guys, be careful, be careful. Like <laughs> more solar panels, that's fine, but we need to, there's ways to get around this. Uh, but yeah, it's, it can be a little scary that people don't think that. Is that because uh, you can sell energy back? Because it, uh, is that really the only reason? Yeah, so like we'll have a company. Okay, exactly. So we can sell a company. Uh, we can the company comes there, establishes it. We kind of rent the usage of those solar panels. All right, um, they collect a hundred percent of that energy benefit, mm-hmm. and then they pay us for effectively twenty percent of that usage of that tariff is what they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know we get. We pay eighty percent of what our energy w- bill would have been. Right, but then the IR, but then the IRS gets even weirder. So we have the National Park Service in Quincy area. We have uh, the, the Adams Presidential Estates. Um, you know, John Quincy Adams and John Adams built. Actually, my office oh, shares. Just put that together. <laughs> is that who you're named after? <laughs> no, so we're actually named after John Quincy, which is John Quincy Adams' grandfather. Okay, okay. Um, so like. I got share a building with John Adams' office he had during uh, when he was a. It's uh, John Quincy Adams when he was in the House of Reps and like the promenade that connects like the city of Quincy's, um, you know, like city hall, mm-hmm. public, like civic space actually has where the presidents are buried. Oh. So like every day I walk by like John Quincy Adams and John Adams' grave, which is like, you know, that's, you know, in all seriousness, that's like those two people were some of the greatest public servants the U.S. has ever had. And it's a cool reminder uh, to, to walk by them. But that they're dead. So we get, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked about having working with the National Park Service. Yeah. The IRS told us if you have the National Park Service in there, they're considered a private entity. And if they take up more than 15% of the building, the bonds will be taxable. And I'm like, the you 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 are the federal you are the National Park Service federal yeah. government. What do you mean? <laughs> you are them. Well, it I mean, just stick all the solar panels in the cafeteria and you double the yeah, that's only seven percent. Right? Yeah, there Kyle. you go. <laughs> God damn. So with, this, weird. with the solar panels, you're essentially just renting out the roof space, and you, you basically take it on a subtenant rather than net metering it just against your your energy costs. Yeah, but we rent space in Plain Ridge, Mass. Uh, like we rent like 
a solar farm essentially and exactly what you're saying bear where that's normally how it's done but then we're really trying to maximize you know square square feet mm-hmm. and so now it's like retroactively mm-hmm. want to put it on buildings and that's where the, that's where the problem comes if it was just net metering out in the middle of nowhere sorry for plain rich i called you middle of nowhere but like um, <laughs> that would be that would be much easier i think they'll be fine they got a casino out there they're doing fine yeah they... <laughs> no, I, I mean it's 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 really kind of fascinating because otherwise the city would have to own the solar panels and then they have to hire the people to come in and manage them and take care of them and, and do all that stuff. Um, I used to work for a regional bank and, you know, we got approached by some companies doing the same thing going, Hey, you know, we want to rent the roofs on your branches. Hmm. Uh, so we could put solar panels on there. I was like, yeah, okay. That's an interesting business opportunity. Thanks. Just go around renting roofs. Anybody ever approach you guys? Yeah, so I can't name the company because we got litigated. We're going to get litigated against it. They are litigating against me or they don't like me in general. Uh, but we were like, yo, man, you can come. It's a huge company that you guys can probably all guess who it is once I tell the story. But if this ever gets brought up, I can say, like, at least I have no idea. I never brought up the company. So we were like, yo, you guys want solar panels up here? And they're like, yeah, we're super fun. Let's go do this. And they drilled through my trying to give a swearing for Lent, so I'm going to stop. But like, they, tried, they drilled through my 110-year-old roof. Wow. And then flooded and destroyed a bunch of underlying. And then we were like, yo, man, what the hell happened? They were like, uh, yeah, we didn't install that. The contract did it. And I was like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to introduce you to a legal concept called sub-vendors. Right. Um, you and you. <laughs> you be careful because like, I can't see <laughs> But they were like, oh, well, it's our, our, our problem. So uh, yes. we ripped off we ripped off the solar panels and like threw them off to the side because it's destroying the freaking roof. And they called us up like, "Yeah, we're not getting any energy off the roof." Well, yeah, no crap because your freaking solar panels are sitting in the parking lot. <laughs> so then they so then they so I'm probably like 23, 24 years old. We're in a conference room. Uh, there's all these like muck mucks around there. I'm an idiot. Like I'm just, I'm just a dumb guy in general. So they're like, all right, like the city has to pay this amount of money and we'll give the city this amount of money and back and forth, back and forth. And they're like, we got to do, so they're coming up with a discount rate. So I was like, all right. So I went and sat down and did the math and I was like, all right, our discount rate at the time was 1.7% because that's what tips were. And you know, we can't, we don't invest in the broad market. So this, this Silicon Valley bro is like, oh, it should be like nine and a half percent. I'm like, dude, when is nine and a half percent a guaranteed rate of return? So we're going back and forth, and I go, City doesn't invest in the stock market. What are you talking about, dude? It's tips. You take, and like, obviously, you want a much higher growth rate because that means your discount rates, you want a much higher investment rate because that means your discount rates going to be higher, which means your net present value is going to be a lower amount of money. So he says to me, Well, if we could come to this number, you could, we, you know, we'll have to go to court, table, all lawyers and everything. I'm just like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and then they hit mute, like, Shut the hell up. That's not your call. <laughs> and I'm like, Don't get yelled at. And I'm just like, All right. Like, and then, yeah, like three years later, I'm CFO, and now I can actually get in trouble for saying that stuff, so I should probably be like a lot more careful. <laughs> and I was like, fine, I'll go to court. I'll go, dude, I'll go. listen, who's going to win? Uh, <laughs> the city that you destroyed a historic roof on? <laughs> or like this tech bro company? <laughs> like, okay, let's, yeah, so, yeah let's try. Let's see, let's see what this is going to be better at. My numbers are just math. Like, we invest in tips, take how much money we lost. There it is. End of story. How long ago was this? Uh, 30. So this is like seven, six, seven years ago. Okay. So I'm guessing nothing ever came of that. Oh, no. They still every so often. But let's just say the owner of that company has bigger headaches now. Oh. And little Eric <laughs> in Quincy is not going to. Probably. Can't wait. I'm going to go to work on Monday. Solicitor is going to be sitting in my chair when I walk in my office. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. We have a conversation about disclosure. <laughs> 
Is he the seven guy? Yeah, yeah. Hi, Jim. If you're there. Right. Uh, yeah, should we talk about something economic related? I kind of want to get you ranting on bricks a little bit. I mean, I'm fine to keep complaining about nameless solar companies. I mean, I'm fine. That makes me happy. <laughs> well, actually, there's another one that I kind of want to get your thoughts on. Uh, I don't know if you're paying attention when NVIDIA yeah. reported their earnings, but the way it just kind of saved the NASDAQ was something spectacular. But from like an economist point of view, does that worry you to see one company have that size of an impact on a market? I mean, yeah, I mean, it does. So we have like, we, we, we all, we all know like the HHI, you know, it's that type of market control, you know, there's two sides to this, right? Like, should one company have that? Does does it concern us if one company has that outside impact? Yeah, absolutely. It should, because that's just what can be ventured easily can be lost easily. Mm -hmm. But what's, what's the alternative? Like, do we force some sort of like regulation on it? Do we break it up? And it's like, well, well, no. So sometimes it's, it sounds sad, but it's not sad. But like, it's the reality of the situation. Like, you know, I, somebody who in my job probably says that too much, and I should. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, it it shows that you know chips are oil now. Like that's really what it is. It's, it's uh, it shows that that type of technology, chip diplomacy, is is here to stay. And I mean, that's a big reason why you know Taiwan. I mean, I think the thing, the best thing that protects Taiwan is. Mm abilities like that is that chip diplomacy because even if china takes over taiwan it's like they will lose the technology to make the advanced chips that kind of right you can take over the factory but the people who actually run the equipment yep not necessarily gonna agree to continue doing it well and and not necessarily even the people that you know run the equipment it's the people that are actually drawing the lines on the isolithography mm-hmm. to design the chip that's the that's the real yep. great power there yeah it's like the dutch machine and stuff like that like China, like I always tell people, like China's really good at making microwaves, but they like, can't make supercomputers. And people like, like blows people's minds. I'm like, no, it's a specific tool to do that. Mm-hmm. And China just yeah. doesn't have that capability. And like, you know, China's labor cost is up four times since 2000. Like, it's wild how expensive Chinese labor mm-hmm. is now. Really? I mean, that, yeah, that's why we're seeing onshoring. We're seeing a lot of la- a lot of jobs come back to Mexico. Is because Chinese labor has become super expensive. They they kind of now now they're having population decline. Their rate they're they're cutting rates. They're 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 effectively they're in a mechanical recession right now. Mm-hmm. Whether that translates to a technical recession and then you know a more broadly accepted recession, I don't know. They're probably already in a, rece- a recession. I don't super trust Chinese state data. Um, <laughs> so like, that should not be a shock to anybody. <laughs> Thanks. You got a you know my way in on anything here? Been a little quiet. Yeah. No. I've just been kind of listening. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think Nvidia this week kind of put put the old globe on its back, uh, the old meme. Um, it was it was fun to see though. I mean, you know, I wasn't I wasn't surprised uh, by any means. It seems like every time they have earnings, it's you know, it's always bullish, um, and it always tends to be pulling back before that. So it's 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 not surprising one bit. But um, yeah, just just be kind of listening, and kind of. I don't know. When Eric talks, you just kind of lay back. I know. You just kind of <laughs> let him go, right? Uh, or tune it out is probably the safer thing for your mental health. I got to be honest. Well, well, I didn't want to say that. I mean, but... look, look, at the, look at the other side of this, you know, insane PE market value of NVIDIA is it's incentivized the marketplace for competitors yep. to come in and say, we're going to create chips. Mm-hmm. And everybody and their brother knows that, you know, Google and Samsung and Apple and everybody else is working on their own chips because they're they're tired of the old, you know, the old Intel AMD monopoly uh, market. Well, and then the, we mentioned Taiwan, but the way TSM set up their business model, I think is pretty brilliant. They don't do the engineering. They take the design specs from their customers and then just build it for them. Yep. So I love that model. save a lot of money on R&D. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I mean, they're they're investing all their R and D money in better better manufacturing techniques, and you know, just trying to drive that circuit size down, 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 down. Yeah, I mean, it, it is amazing how narrow those circuits are getting. It's, it's I mean, talk about mm-hmm. who would have thought Moore's law would like still be this strongly applicable? We're uh, six I, decades. We're like, what, we're like six decades from when that first yeah. came coming to the end, though. It's getting to the point now where we're like, ch- the transistor sizes are getting to like the atomic limits. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're bumping up against quantum limits, but I mean, we were talking about atomic limits, you know, in the mid nineties. Uh, I, I grew up in, I grew up in Boise. So I, you know, I knew a bunch of people at Micron Semiconductor and, and they, you know, I knew chip designers back then and they're talking about, Hey, you know, we're, we're really pushing the, the limits of physics. And that was, you know, tenfold ago. Well, is this true? What uh, ProShot just said there, they're talking about adding HD space on GPUs in the next few years. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, did you see that proposal from uh, the Chat GPT, or sorry, I should say OpenAI uh, CEO? Where he's like talking about the seven trillion dollar chip. Was this the guy who was fired for lying? What? And then <laughs> and then rehired. This is like three days ago. I saw this, so this could be oh, true. So That's it might be the new one. Yeah, I mean, but no AI. Oh, this could already be the third CEO. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, that's a great. I mean. Pro shot. Like, that's such an awesome point. I think that's a great point. Like it's it's a computer inside of a computer. I mean, that's really what's going to happen with like cubic functions when you have like quantum computing. Is you you're basically having an algorithm that's horizontal and an algorithm that's uh, well, like uh, vertical too, and you just basically that combination of those two numbers. Like that's the thing about like like people think quantum computers going to make their cell phone faster. It's like no, no, that's not what quantum computers do. Quantum computers is going to solve like. It, you know, would basically be irrationally high, complicated uh, mathematical equations just so much faster. Like, Q, uh, the quantum computer is not going to make your, you know, you're not going to be able to watch, you know, YouTube reels or whatever you call them, like faster. YouTube shorts. I'm an old man. I don't know what those <laughs> little videos are called. Yeah, sure. um, just call them yeah. TikToks. Yeah. TikTok. There you go. I refuse no, no. to download TikTok. I had somebody go, I was so, yeah, uh, slightly off topic. I was talking to somebody at work. And they brought up some like propaganda thing, and I was like, "Dude, that doesn't make any sense." Like, it was something about like uh, that video was like viral. It was like some dude coming ac- uh, supposedly coming across the southern border, and he was talking about like Azerbaijan, and like, "Oh, you'll know my name." And I'm like, "Dude, like, you realize like we're like Azerbaijan, not to get weighed to Azerbaijan versus our media, but I'm like, you realize Azerbaijan's on our side, right? Like, they sold <laughs> the seventh leader provider of natural gas to the EU, Armenia's in uh, what do you call it, the CSTO." I'm like, this is th- th- this propaganda falls apart with any sort of understanding of the Nakora Karabakh war, and this dude's like, oh, <clears throat> oh, really? And I'm like, yeah. Also, don't yell to you. Don't talk to me about state secrets and state media. You're on TikTok, man. You're on. A, you, like, you don't <laughs> have any state secrets. Yeah, like, you're on TikTok, dude. Like the, the Ch- Chinese is so up your phone. They they right. they, they, they answer your voicemails, and you you got some <laughs> secret state information like no be more f- familiar with going on the, like that's one of my favorite things like we hide behind certain stuff where you can just like very quickly familiarize yourself like what's going on like uh like azerbaijan and armenia and you you it ends up coming off like oh this person knows a lot it's like no nah, man i watched a 10 minute video on like tldr on youtube i even i even watched the video i read the comments <laughs> Dude, you could, you, youtube comments are top tier cesspool i love it <laughs> no. Oh God, I'd stay out of there. Uh, I wanted to keep going about the quantum computers a little bit. The way I understood, do I, I, I want to make sure I understand it right. Cause it, the way like a normal computer works, it's like uh binary, right? On off one, you, you have two states basically, but with the quantum computer or a qubit, you have multiple you have states. Four. 
So, yeah, so you're, yeah, what, how, how much is that? That's like exponentially increasing the processing power, right? Yeah, so you have two ups, two downs, first up, first down, first down, first up. Do you have to right. completely rewrite like all languages and computer languages in order to to make use of that? So I, I haven't had the chance. So there's like, and I, I want to sit down and do it, but there are like cubic coding simulators you can you can use. Mm -hmm. I'd love to like really get into them. Like right now, I'm learning G code for like uh for like 3D printing and stuff. So that oh nice. That's like not to the third power. That's three axes. That's X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. um, yes, I asked my wife for a 3D printer for our anniversary, not so I could print stupid stuff, so I can learn to code slightly better. Right. Um, but yeah, it's it, what anytime you move, basically you're adding axes of, of potential data. So like one of the funniest parts of like being an analyst uh, in like the public sector is trying to explain that like you can only optimize on one point. Like an Excel mm -hmm. spreadsheet, Excel's great, but Excel can only optimize on one on on one variable, right? Now you can throw something in R, and you can do like synthetic control. I mean, synthetic control is probably a bad example. You can do like instrumental variable, and in theory, you would be opt able to optimize on two points. Kind of, not really. Somebody will probably call me out for that later in my life. Um, <laughs> where with quantum computing, you're going to be able to maybe maybe optimize is the right word, but you're going to be able to more quickly express possible outcomes or solves for an equation mm -hmm. because you're you're basically at a cube function volume wise expanding um the individual cells of information and where binary is one and zero you really are so you, you really only have two options um, right you really technically have four i mean some people argue that it's cubed because your root is zero <laughs> so probably a little bit beyond my understanding of mathematics but you know like what's really scary about this guys is have you guys ever heard like uh store for later data no um, I'm guessing that's uh, basically what every company is doing with all these server farms they're building. Dude, 100% right. So like, even though your passwords, so th there's this quantum computing test they do where quantum computing, like how do you know quantum computing is better than your traditional binary computer? And what that is, is can it solve an equation that a, a you know, regular computer could not practically solve? We've hit mm -hmm. that. Um, where it would take a computer like, no, I'm not joking, like 34 million years to solve some of the equations that quantum computers are solving in, you know, an hour or less. Yeah. The answer is 42. The answer is 42. The answer is always 42. <laughs> so they end up, uh, what what the, a lot of nations are doing, bad actors, non-state agencies, is that they're storing all your password information, all your, or not password information, all your user account information. And even though, like, you know, you have, you have, you have to use letters and numbers and special characters and blood and stuff to, you know, <laughs> every new password. Right. Because from a binary standpoint, you never be able to crack that in a realistic time frame. Mm-hmm quantum computer is going to be able to crack that instantaneously. So like North Korea is just storing a bunch of information, hoping to crack it later as quantum computing gets better and better, which is kind I mean, of it, scary. It, yeah. It, it started in world war two where they would, they would store the encrypted messages that were intercepted so that when they finally cracked the enigma, they were able to go back and read those messages. Yeah. In the past tense, but then get additional insights on, Oh, Hey, this is what was said. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even if it was something from three weeks ago, it's going to have relevant information in there about, you know, sources and methods that, you right. know, the events passed. So then you go back into Five Eyes in the 80s, and they started just hoovering up all of the encrypted data that was passing across the telecommunications wires and then what in became the Internet. And so, you know, there's treasure troves of data in Maryland and other places like that where, They've said, hey, we have all this encrypted communication between bad actor one and bad actor two. We can't read it, 
but we know in a few years we're going to crack this algorithm and then we're going to go back and read it. So there's your stored for later. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. Well, and I think even like specifically like the Enigma, I, my understanding was that they were able to crack most of the messages. It just took so long that by the time they were able to do it, the everything was outdated. And because of the mechanisms that the Enigma managed to like change the, the keys the way it did and there, how many different permutations of that was, it was impractical to be able to figure out how to do it uh, without the actual machine. Yeah, we eventually just mm-hmm. stole one off a submarine that they tried to scuttle. Right. <laughs> Nothing like that movie. Died. By the way. <laughs> no, it's just, it's like one of the biggest reasons the U.S. was able to keep, it, keep its secrets uh, during World War II is we used like a Navajo-based language mm-hmm. so you can use like a non, like there's very few non-Semitic, non-Indo-European languages in the world. I mean, there's very, very few. We just happen to have one with a very readily available population that spoke it. Like we, we looked at like geography, won, won that out for us. Right. <laughs> I'm surprised nobody is up there vacuuming up all those Papua New Guinea tribes. You've heard my rant on that. I just not <laughs> yeah. Papua New Guinea, but North Sinhalese. Yeah, well, yes, yeah, that's yeah, my I'll favorite that. rant of all time. But no, I mean, it, it is it is fascinating because it just shows information's information's new oil, mm-hmm. and it, it really like I don't know. I mean, I'm going to sound horrible saying this, but like I don't see how information's never not going to be. I feel like information has been the thing that people who have wealth value more than they value their wealth because the information yeah. is how they compound that. I mean, like one of the pillars of economics is, um, you know, everybody behaves rationally given the information they know. And the more information you know, the more rational and you know, more logical you can be in business transactions. I think I broke that model today. <laughs> I did not act well, rationally I mean, today. <laughs> when, you're, when, you're, when your economic needs are taken care of, what becomes more valuable? Time. Time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the ways it's, uh, I've read a couple, like, I'm not a huge fan into, like, socioeconomics, like, no, I'm not against the field, I'm just not somebody who, like, spent a lot of time, but I do very much like behavioral economics, and some of the ways they say, like, the best ways to uh, have people care about the environment and stuff is to, you know, like you said, Bear, like, satisfy economic needs, because then you're thinking in the future, you want your life to be better, you know, if you're, like, you know, it's horrible stuff going around, like, the Democratic Republic of Congo, where you have 15% of cobalt is mine, artisanal mines, you know, People literally grabbing radioactive cobalt out of the ground. You know, if you're somebody who cares about the environment in the long Wait, run, if you, really? if your economic needs, yeah. They're just going out there and picking it up? Yeah, it's horrible. Wow. Yeah. Electric, until we figure out like silicate batteries, which are pretty close to electric cars, are basically the rich world making the poor world pay to feel good about saving the environment that we think is hurting the poor world. <laughs> Like, let me tell you, you know, sea level rise in a hundred years is not as deadly 
as radioactive cobalt. Just yeah. Controversial take by Eric there. <laughs> now, let me tell you something weird. So when they were trying to figure this out, so back in 2004, they went down there. I, I Part of my master thesis was on this. And they went down there and they were like, all right, we want to figure out how much radioactive exposure these people are getting. And uh, I, I wrote a very long, complicated email after I got yelled at by somebody at work explaining my position on electric cars. And it was so beautifully, it was like, the I wrote it as if I was trying to publish it. And they responded with a link to a local newspaper ad saying electric cars are cheaper to maintain. And I've never, it was the greatest troll move of all time. I've never been angry in my life. I was so impressed with that response. <laughs> uh, but I can forward this to you because it's one of my pride and joys of Eric being insane. And yeah, so, so they go down there, they give Geiger counters out. All right. So they're like, all right, let's measure radiation. And after one day, one 12 hour work day, they were, <laughs> the workers received more radiation than's permissible in an entire year in Europe and in the U.S. Uh, by uh, uh, work uh, by labor standards. So they threw away the Geiger counters. That was the solution. <laughs> trying to remember what the, I think our lifetime exposure allowance when I was in the military uh, on the nuke sub was like five millirem or something like ridiculously small. Which is a, I think that's like one or and a half times. Rem. Sorry, five rem. I think it was the total. Yeah, I think that's like one and a half times the amount you get exposures flying like from like Boston to LA. Right. So the only other time a, a state entity sponsored the measure of radiation and threw away the Geiger counters when it did when they they were going off the chart too much was the Chernobyl, Chernobyl meltdown. Yeah. <laughs> we shouldn't be subsidizing Chernobyl meltdown levels of exposure to radiation, which is what we're doing right now with subsidizing electric cars. Wow. That's what we're doing. Just goes up my ass to be honest. Damn, I thought I'd get you ranting on China, but yeah, kid, if you want, I'd be like, I have a lot of opinions on China. They're all sad. They're just, <laughs> kind of makes me sad. Uh, Pro Shot says they got wolves now that resist cancer. Where are they at? Chernobyl. Steal their blood. Yeah. How do they know that? Like, how much data is this? Is some guy out there like shooting wolves? And like, you need a lot of data to to come up to that conclusion. I've seen that study. I, I'm, I'm with you. I get, I get, I get it. But what psychopath is hunting like? wolves in the red forest like or they're, or they're just out there going hey how are these things still alive oh, oh okay cool they have they have adapted all right i, I mean out, out where i'm at because i'm in the middle of nowhere montana um awesome. you know we we talk about hey he, you want to talk to a real environmentalist go talk to a farmer or a rancher because yeah. here's somebody who's you know family's been on the land for generations and their whole their whole goal is to maintain the land in a in a manner that it goes down to their future generations. Yeah. So right. you know, yeah. to me, that's that's you know the ultimate environmentalist. But I'm pretty biased. No, my uh, yeah, I'm a city boy. Don't get me wrong. Um, but my wife, she's uh, her, her family has a ranch in southern, not southern, be like uh, rural West Virginia on the Ohio River. So like western West Virginia, hit a little south. Yeah, they give way more crap about the environment than any of the hippies I went to school with. Are you kidding me? I just want to see Eric on a horse. No, I would love that. I, just, I, I like. <laughs> I actually really like it. It's really relaxing, but I just sit quietly in a chair. I Probably can't stand horses. They terrify me. Most cows scare scare the crap out of me. Cows? Yeah, I just scare the They're absolute. So delicious. Crap out of me. They are delicious, but my, so I love my father-in-law. Like where he, my father, my all my in-laws are great. Uh, they put up with me, which is which is absolutely crazy. Uh, but so my, you know, they have like eight hundred head of cattle. All right. They were in the major. And I'm like, oh, dude, I like little baby animals, man. I think it's awesome. Though I will say, I saw about two months before I got married, I, I watched my wife castrate a cow. 
So like that was very threatening. That was a calf. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh. And my father in law says to me, he goes, Eric, it's not just that she knows how to do it; it's that she has the equipment to do it. And she's good at it. <laughs> she's good. She was good at it, man. It, it was it was impressive. It was scary. She's over there nudging your elbow. You yeah, see how like, she didn't hesitate? Sitting there like I want to like gator. So I'm like, ah, I don't know if I want to do this. Um, so. No, so he walks through the manger and the cows, you know, eating all their stuff. And as he walks, they pull the head back. And he's like, uh, <laughs> I go, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just saw the comment about that. Uh, we're talking about cows. In this. <laughs> so oh, I miss that. <laughs> I, I walk around the, like the, the entrance because I'm like, dude, I'm not walking in front of these cows. And I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not a huge guy. I'm like, I'm 6'4, but I'm, a, I'm maybe like 200 pounds. I'm not like, even though no humans is going to be able to take on a cow. Uh, but I'm like, so I walked through, and my father-in-law was like, "Why did why'd you walk around?" I was like, "I didn't know when those cows got like irritated. It just hit me in the side, just broke my entire body. <laughs> like, I don't want to risk that, man. I like my life. I don't need everything broken on whatever side of the body that like this six IQ animal that like <laughs> we harvest for meat is like it's gonna it's gonna." Do. I've heard the I've heard people talk about the thing jumping over like six foot fences oh, yeah. and shit. Yeah, they're, they're that's crazy. terrifying. No, the worst one is I'm driving, so I'm driving down there. I look over at my wife and I said, "Hey, Tiff, so how many you got? Uh, you got like a you got like eight hundred head of cows. So how many bulls do you have?" And she's like, "How many bulls do you think I have?" And I'm like, "I don't know, dude. I can replace your alternator. I grew up in a mechanic shop. I'm not the best. Hand. I can file your taxes. And I can fix your alternator. Those are like the two things God gave me. I can reach <laughs> stuff on high shelves. All right." And she goes, why don't you ask my my grandfather? Uh, Tiff's grandfather is like one of my favorite people, minister, w- Korean War vet, minister. Like, guy's awesome. And uh, so I, I decided to, you know, ask uh, ask uh, my, my wife's father-in-law. And he's like, uh, <laughs> he goes, uh, one, Eric. We have one bull. You don't need that many bulls. <laughs> and it, <laughs> He's just a busy bull. Yeah. And, you know, because they, they cycle through. They don't have like, uh, I forget what they call it, but they're like, they don't do the full herd. They don't get the full herd pregnant. <laughs> like, I don't know if there's a term for that. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, I'm like, oh, that bull is pissed off all the time. Like, I went over and I'm like, hey, I'm going to go look at the bull. And he's just angry. I'm like, dude, what are you angry about? What do you do in life? Like, fuck, the, you're going to fuck all these cows. <laughs> you got to keep your balls. Yeah, freaking asshole bull. But yeah, he, uh, my one of their old bulls. My uh, yeah, my father had to shoot because it jumped over the fence. It was just like running around through the woods. And, like, Mad cow. Idiot me. He's like, oh, did you catch him? Did you like lasso him? He's like, no, I shot him with a thirty odd six. He's a freaking bull on the loose. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they let me marry their daughter. That's wild. <laughs> no, no, no. That that that's more of a Mongo moment. Of, no, no, don't shoot him. Don't just make him mad. Uh, damn it, CP saying he wish he could load some videos on here. Shit. I wish he could too. <laughs> my, my, I saw cow tipping. My, I made a cow tipping joke. My father was like, wicked angry at me. <laughs> That's the like, thing dude, he doesn't like, joke about. <laughs> I didn't think that was a thing. <laughs> Farmers don't like it ever. <laughs> 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 no, but it's weird. Like, I, I, I would love to, like, you could take a GoPro to me and me on a farm is the weirdest thing. Or a ranch, I should say. It's like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I'm like, the hell are all these animals around here? Why are there no, why, why, I, I was like, why is there no, like, police sirens and stuff? This freaks me out. I want to hear crime going on. Did you guys ever see that show with Gary Busey? They had, like, some guy that was just, like, hanging out with Gary Busey. This is after he went insane and had, like, the brain injury. But uh, one of the episodes, he's out there. They're trying to fix global warming, and they're doing it by 
uh, trying to stop cows from producing methane. <laughs> so the one guy is out there distracting the farmers and Gary Busey's sneaking behind the cows trying to shove this giant cork up their ass. <laughs> <going to> die. <laughs> this whole time he's doing it, the farmers are there. What is your friend doing? <laughs> oh, <laughs> ah, just ignore him. Ignore him. Yeah, I mean, uh, here, there's your, your economic side of it is that if you actually look at the, mm-hmm. the hard data, um, cattle in natural pasture, so grass-fed, grass-raised cattle, are actually net carbon sink. Oh, so it's all the grain. They put more carbon into the ground than they so release. ones that are like corn-fed? There's corn-fed, and then there's yeah. the feedlot issue, and yeah. feedlots are a whole other environment. Yeah, so. it's like like my wife's farm. Like that's all They just graze, man. It's amazing how much food they can eat, but they got... Yep. Like they have like 3,000 acres or something, but I think like, it's like 850 might be what they like actively use and they, they actually have some natural they have natural gas wells out there too um yeah it's just way, it's oh, wow. way different so they've got a lot of moisture they've got they've got some pretty rich land then if they're running that that heavy of concentration yeah, of cattle uh, bear you should see just i mean this grass dude i'll be there a week and the mm-hmm. grass is like a foot taller i'm like it's like nitrogen or something going oh yep. no it's just the way it's just just the way it is but they have to literally it's good soil that's that's yeah, well taken care like, of uh you know it's funny my, my uh, white's grandfather you know like i said he's a minister he's a big believer in that kind of like oh this is the way we're supposed to live like this is you treat the land well the land treats you well um yeah it's funny i was uh, i said to him one time so my wife is a horse she's a belgian uh, workhorse this thing's a unit and they retired it and it has this little they have a, a little 86 acre pasture where where i'm from that would house a hundred thousand people and so Another stupid thing I've said to my wife's grandfather, I was like, hey, hey, like, uh, what would happen if, like, wouldn't you be nervous, like, a bear attacking the horse? <laughs> me too, Bags. <laughs> looks at me. <laughs> looks at me and goes, Eric, I'd have a bear rug if a black bear attacked that horse. It would stop his face. <laughs> and I was like, oh. Don't. I can tell you about crackheads. That's that's my wild animal. That I know about everything else I'm Aware of. Uh, someone's asking what part of Texas are you referring to there? For, for me? Um, somebody. I don't know who mentioned Texas. I didn't mention. Oh, uh, no, I'm, I'm in southern Montana. So central, south and central Montana, not go. Texas. Uh, I think we've only been talking about, let's see, Montana, West Virginia, and Ohio. I didn't think Texas was in there, but I don't know. Tex- Texans always want to work Texas no. in there. Yeah, Texans do love Texans. I'm pretty sure CP's in Texas, but interesting about him is he trades from, uh, I assume, from his his work equipment. I've seen pictures of him working in a, like, I don't know, yeah. Bobcat or whatever. He's got the laptop out there and everything. I, I've, I've seen posts. I swear I've seen posts from Egg Trader uh, doing doing trades on his cell phone while he's running the tractor. There's, there's a few of them. I think there's a couple of them there. Somebody else was saying they do that too. Uh, we should probably talk about something economic related, though. So, dealer's choice. <laughs> how about? I don't know. What do you guys think? Should we talk about trading bonds, or should we talk about uh, <laughs> the de-dollarization fears that are going out there? I'll let it. I'll let Eric pick. Oh, de-dollarization. Get again. Just so angers me. So, eighty-seven percent of trades are in dollar denominations. That is. So you don't believe that China's yawn is gathering strength, dude? I gave uh, uh, so so enraged. Uh, one of my worst jokes I ever did at any sort of conference was I had like a giant chart up there, and it was like, I was like, this is uh, you know, dollar. I was talking about the dollar dominance, 
and I had this chart and it showed the yawn or remember or whatever the hell they call it today. Um, and I had it like over time, look at, they were competing. Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong chart. Click it. And then I had like, you couldn't even see the <laughs> yawn to the dollar and it landed horribly. It landed so bad. Like, cause I, I, I either sold it like crap or they actually thought I was like being serious. I'm like, the the freaking dollar has never been the dollar's increasing in strength, like because the euro is kind of weird. Who would have got? Who would have guessed that like non unified fiscal policy would result in crappy monetary policy? Oh wait, everybody involved in the euro when it originally right. launched. Freaking, how do you have Germany and Greece using the same currency? You, you freaking had Italy and Greece using inflation taxes to fund their government, which is fine. And you got Germany that has a 50% marginal propensity of consumption. It means if you give a German a dollar, he saves 50 cents. And they're like, let's combine our currency. Like, why? Why? Who who did that who did that help? Like, like not who, Germany. Like, oh, it's better for trade. Hey, Europe, you've been driving around trading with each other for a thousand years. It seems to be going just fine. Oh, and then who became the center of your entire economy? London. The only place not using the dollar. Who's your second one? Switzerland. Also not using your freaking currency. And I'm like, <laughs> why did you do this? Why did you do this? Don't get in bed with France and Germany on freaking fiscal policy. Like, like you, you, you came out of the 1900s and you got in bed with the two people who were broken the entire 1900s. Like, oh, it's like. Currency is supposed to be tied to like you know what what, what is now Ferguson called money trust inscribed. France is on its fifth republic. They're their fifth government. Their fifth swing at republic. Like you want to tie a currency to that in Germany? Oh, well, okay, I feel like I can't rant too much on Germany. Just Germany in the nineteen hundreds. <laughs> what, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Acting like this is some fucking substitution to this? You got the yen. <laughs> You got triple M over in, in Japan, all right? You got the fucking the countries get taken over by robots because they, they don't bring in immigrants because they're horrible <laughs> to immigrants moving in there. Their population, they get like maybe like 50, yeah, right? Every 50 Japanese people who die, there's like a third of a baby born. Like, <laughs> the currency <laughs> falling apart. Like, fucking. And then so what you left with, you left with like England, which has 68 million people and a GDP of 3.5 trillion bucks. And you got the pound. Pound's wicked heavy. That's fine. Totally get that. And you got the U.S. And you're like, oh, what about Switzerland? Switzerland's like, don't look at anything. We don't want anybody looking at anything. Like, nobody's questioning why Switzerland hasn't had inflation the last two years. Like, why is that not like a major news story? Everybody's like, I'm on. Wait, they yeah. haven't? Yeah, Switzerland's inflation has been like, it's like 1% over a year or so. Like, the fuck it, they manage that? Because they do shady stuff all the time. It's like, look, up, if you look up countries <laughs> with the highest GDP per capita, Ireland's up there. Do you know what countries has no money? Ireland, Ireland, who some people, they have a major political party that thinks they're still at war with England, relies on the RAF to patrol their airspace because they don't mm -hmm. have money to fund a military. But I'm supposed to believe they have $110,000 per capita? Nah, it's a freaking tax loophole that they allowed happen. And they just like, we're like, okay, with it. And you're just taking total GDP from those revenue sources and dividing it by, po by population. But like the average Irish person isn't like doing better off because of that by evidence of right. that they, they can't protect their own airspace. Like, it's a country. You should be like, Control your water. Make sure you control your airspace. I feel like that's like minimum one, two things to be in a country. And you have a country with a large political population that thinks they're still an active civil war with England. Be like, yo, RAF, can you cover my stuff? That'd yeah. be if like I ran – oh, no, not, not right now. But if like five, 10 years ago, I, I, I ran was like, yo, Iraq, can you cover my airspace? But like, what are you talking right. about? Like, <laughs> fucking insane. And then I'm supposed to sit here and like, it, like hear these jabronis with the freaking political science and journalism Good degrees. Word. Good word. Um, 
you know, try and tell me that the dollar is dying. I'm like, where, where is it dying? Somebody, somebody explicitly show me something that shows the dollar is dying. I'm like, yo, China poured a lot of concrete. What does that have to do with the dollar? How much of the China's share increase is because that Russia is not allowed to transact with anybody else anymore? Yeah, I mean, the, the so it's funny. Funny history about about the ruble is that like we we never allowed to be traded. Even I mean, there's a whole thing about the ruble wasn't a, a true currency, like in terms of like inflation and transactionary experience during um, the Soviet Union. Like inflation wasn't expressed in the devalu- devaluation of a ruble. In fact, it was like more expressed as like the amount of time it takes to wait in line. I, I know a great economist and she wrote her PhD paper on that. It was excellent hmm. dissertation. Um, so like it never really existed, to be honest. So, like, then you had 30 years of it kind of being openly traded, which is crazy to think about. It was only 30 years from, like, the fall of the Soviet Union to ma- these massive sanctions that were placed on Russia. So, it never really had a chance to do- kind of dominate the market. So, you- you're right. Like, they-, they were exchanging with with China. But even China has been cautious about getting too- doing too much pure exchange with Russia. Because even though China and Russia have been trying to come up with this new system, like, to replace SWIFT. It's not working. It's just because I'm going to let you guys know a little secret. China and Russia aren't the richest consumer market in the world. Right. It's like two people. It's like two little kids trading different like powder to make lemonade. It's like, yeah, that's great. But until the guy buys it, you're just, again, trading lemonade powder. Um, I don't get It's like I hear people yell at me. They'll be like, yeah, the U.S. shouldn't have a trade deficit. I'm like, bitch, who are we trading with? Who has more money than us? Like, who? Like, of course we have. sense yeah we are the rich guys we are so stupid the u.s is so stupidly wealthy we that okay we're five percent gdp growth all right right now so that means if we hold that for a year our gdp is going to be like the just the gdp growth not the entire gdp just the growth would be like the sixth largest country uh sixth or seventh largest in the world just that like we grow bigger than countries dream of growing (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's that's a that's a year yeah, so we're at five point. So when you, I mean, you guys know this, but when you hear GDP, like, oh, third quarter GDP just means it grows at that. Mm-hmm. If it would maintain that growth rate for a year, it would be five point two percent. So one point two five percent GDP growth. You know, you talk about half a trillion dollars just in one quarter of new economic activity added, which is just that's a lot of money. That is, and we act like it's a, it's nothing. We act like, like oh, no, it's no big deal. It's like. Dude, we added over like the average worker added something like twelve hundred dollars in added economic activity above everything else in a three month period. That's how long can that keep going like that? We we don't know. See, I'm like people be like, oh, you want the most GDP growth? I don't know if you do. Like ten percent year over year GDP growth in the U.S. would actually have like some real negative effects, like in terms of asset growth uh, and sort of like deflation of the dollar. That would Mm -hmm. make transaction become so progressively more expensive, like. Dollars wouldn't be able to deflate in value, or in this case, I guess inflate in value because we're talking on the transaction side, quick enough if you have that rapid growth. So it means like any delayed transaction uh, would be jacking up the price. You essentially have to continuously jack up the price, which it's ironic because it does not like, like hey, Eric, is that what inflation is? I'm not saying the dollars become more valuable. I'm saying the price of the transaction becomes more valuable because the dollars you're exchanging are gaining value. So that transaction gains value if the dollar amount stays the same. So you would be able to lower prices quick enough, and that would like kind of hurt your economy. Um, I don't know how sustainable it is. I, you know, 
part of me says it's 5% is great, but you know, historically 3% is considered pretty stable growth. Um, we had, we've actually, since the end of the pan, like the shutdown side of the pandemic, we've been doing pretty good on GDP growth. So maybe five, 5% might, could be like an abnormality or, um, but I don't think it's going to go like 5.2% of uh, 5.2% of like 9% then drop down to like negative one. I think right. you're going to see it like kind of 4% kind of you know, level off maybe the two, 3% range. Stabilize it. Makes sense. Uh, all right. That was a good rant. Not very <laughs> that was everything that. I hoped it would be. <laughs> I'm sorry. Thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> Anybody else have anything they want to ask? Uh, I, I did have a, I did have a question going back to Ireland um, for a long time. I know Google and Apple were pretty much, you know, laundering all their worldwide earnings through Ireland. Is that still going on or? Yeah. So they, they closed some of the tax loopholes. So uh, I'm sure you guys are familiar with what they did, but basically like they didn't want to get U.S. taxes. So what they figured out is that they could form like Apple Ireland mm-hmm. and then Apple Ireland would, you know, like Apple Germany and all the other ones. And then. Yeah. All, all the international partners. Yeah. Were parts oh, they, and profits. Didn't they do that just recently with like a Bermuda or somewhere too, where they're yep. like, that's the little one company owns all the IP of like this massive corporation. Yep. And what they would do is they would lease out to like Germany, Apple Germany, they would charge mm-hmm. the trade rights and the copyrights to use the Apple logo. So say like an iPhone costs $200, they would charge $199.99 for the use of the Apple product. So Apple Germany <laughs> wouldn't have, would have no profits. But it would go to Apple Ireland. Apple Ireland would have this really, really low tax rate. This is way more complicated than this. But then Ireland was trying to induce more international deve- more international investment. So they formed this company in Bermuda that was like <laughs> taking the profits from Ireland and then reinvesting them in using this like extra national credit. And somehow that makes the average Irish worker wealthier. I, I for, right. notice in none of that equation that I talk about the average <laughs> Irish and I'm, you know, I'm half Irish. I can, like this is my fellow countrymen. Like nothing, the average, and like it did help the average Irish worker because these companies had to, you know, create, Oh, businesses in there. But at the end of the day, they're not being productive, which I can yeah. cite the fact that they can't protect their own coastline. <laughs> How crappy are a country are you? If you can't protect your own coastline. Like, like work with me. You don't have a boat. <laughs> like six guys haven't gotten together and invested in a boat. Like, like come on. <laughs> I mean, should I've seen? Come on, you know we yeah, got a skip and a couple of shotguns. Crazy billionaires in Canada just buy like old U.S. destroyers. Like oh, they're they're out there. Yeah, I mean it's 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 not that hard. It's like it really just couple. I mean they're great fishermen. Like most of my family was fishermen before they immigrated over here. What what what, what what's a navy besides a fishing boat with a five inch artillery gun on it? Like I'll be honest. I, yeah, pretty much. That's about what I remember. <laughs> About a billion dollars, Kyle. I didn't know you were you were in the you were in the submarine service. Oh yeah, did uh, six years, God, six it. long, long years. So I, I've met one submariner in my life, and it's a uh, he's uh, dating my my cousin, and he's literally one of the most interesting people in the world. Is that why you do, you don't get rattled about anything? Because he's also the calmest person I ever met. Ah, uh, I mean, it probably helps. Like, I mean, I remember like first patrol, like staring up at the the, the hatch. Uh, while we're like you know 200 meters underwater or whatever it was thinking like you know if this thing actually does something really actually hit the fan like we're all dead and you kind of have to come to grips with that like there's just there's just nothing you can do about it what the hell they have these uh they have like this escape equipment and like we'd have to practice the drills every now and then they call them stanky hoods uh, it's like just this thing that you put over your head and then like, you're supposed to yell ho, 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 as you go out the hatch and 
you can only get three people in there at a time. And if you're down like that deep, like they first, they got to pop your eardrums so they don't explode as soon as you open the hatch to leap out. And you've got like literally 45 seconds to like flood the container or the, the part that you're in, get the hatch open and get to the surface before you die of the bends. So like, that's not happening. Let's, let's be honest. And plus the those hoods, those were from like legit like the first fucking submarine ever made. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure they bought one order of these things and they never updated them again. Like, yeah, these are worthless. Yeah, I'm like wicked obsessed with like people who do saturate saturation diving mm-hmm. and stuff like that. It just sounds all terrifying. Just like those guys that do like the free dive or like they just take a huge deep breath and just fall or float to the bottom. No, that also scares the crap out of me because you ever see like a video of what somebody's lungs look like during that? Just don't. Just, no. Crazy people. Like uh, you watch the movie The Blue Hole? Yeah. Like, the, yeah. That, right. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so saturation diving refers to like, you know, your body can only absorb so much nitrogen. So mm-hmm. uh, you saturate the body. You, you inhale this thing called uh, HELOC, which is like helium, nitrogen, Trim- and oxygen. Yeah, trimix. Yeah. Trimix. Yeah, exactly. And you basically flood the amount of nitrogen in your body, so you don't have uh, you only have to do one major decompression, but you can like go down like a couple hundred meters and work on like oil lines and stuff on the bottom of the ocean. Without uh, no, thank you. No, yeah. like right. But if Wait, you're no, your one... decompression takes days. Uh, uh, hey, we do have a let's get this question answered, and then we can uh, probably wrap things up here. So, Pro Shot TV wants to know uh, thoughts on Delta hedging as a major market mover. I don't know who wants to go first. <laughs> I think this probably over my head. Go <laughs> <laughs> so like ProShot, are you saying like independent of your portfolio hedging against Delta? Or are you saying Delta is part of like a larger... I think just talking about like market makers who are Delta hedging their portfolio or Delta hedging their exposure, like how much that moves the markets. Yeah, I don't know inherently how much it moves like the market directly um, it certainly does because i think it's it's a it's an information signaling i think that's the biggest thing about delta hedging um so when i was like taking derivatives uh in college like one of the things you know we looked at was like theta neutral portfolio management i think that affects markets a little better uh, not better i shouldn't say a little more dramatic it's a more pronounced thing on the theta level delta is really interesting though like if delta is part of a larger strategy employed by hedge funds i think it i i really think it's like an information signal on what that company's trying to, I think it's less about what that try, that company's trying to do, and more what that company thinks is going to happen that will trigger the need for that type of for that type of hedging. Um, does it move the market? I, I don't know. I think I think inherently Delta port, uh, Delta hedging is a company accepting that something major may happen happen in the market that's going to force it to kind of like, you know put go go a little defensive towards one side. Uh, as you know, if you're an individual who's doing Delta, uh, you know, you know, you're trying to do Delta hedging, I think it has to be part of like some greater, some greater action because, you know, I'm just assuming nobody who does it at our level is big enough to really, I don't think you can, I don't yeah. think you can. Cause you just, it, it changes so quickly. You're constantly having to adjust it. Yeah. Retail yeah, definitely can. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like that's gotta be like algorithmic type stuff. I don't know. Banks, do you have any thoughts on that? You probably look more at Delta than. The rest of us. I mean, I, I look at Delta in the sense of the way that we traded on futures. I've never really looked at it on the way that we have done options um, on portfolio wise, um, mm-hmm. just because I've never really cared, to be honest with you. And, and the only reason I say that is because it, it doesn't really bother me on the effect of what how I trade it. Uh, when you're looking at like Delta hedging in the portfolio, I mean, 
my assumption is that most portfolios want to be Delta neutral, um, mm. which, which, you know, again, you're basically, you know, you're, you're getting your position to a Delta on a specific asset, a Delta neutral. Um, but I don't know how that would affect my trading, you know, whatsoever, but, but in the way that it moves the market, I would say that it would have to move the market in some fashion because you're going to have to be putting it into positions and portfolio wise to get to Delta neutral. If, if that's your goal on that, you know, portfolio. Mm-hmm. Is that your question? Probably not. That's about the best we can do though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, like you said, retail can, I mean, it's, you know, that's, that's something that's kind of over my head just in the sense of I've never really looked at it that way though. I remember talking to Eric a little bit about, about Delta hedging. And I think he actually mentioned that gamma hedging was actually more something to look into. Uh, let yeah. He says he's seeing the same thing. We don't look at how futures move based on market makers' portfolios and their exposure in specific stocks, etc. That's what we're technically talking about. Gamma, yep. mana, charm. What is charm? Time to delta. Time to delta. Okay. Thank you. I've not heard that one before. Yeah, so actually Pro, Pro is working on some cool stuff with the option side of it, and I think that he... Uh... I think it would be cool once it's done to have him on here and kind of talk through. Um, oh, well, I've already, uh, I've already asked. <laughs> he's, uh, <laughs> he said he's willing to do it once he's got his yeah. website and stuff up and running. I think that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, because some of the stuff he was sharing the other night with the strategy development uh, call, man, there's some really cool stuff he's doing. All right, we got anything else for tonight, or should we wrap this thing up? Wrap it up. All right, let's do it. All right, folks, I think that's going to do it for today's episode. I'd like to say thank you to Eric, Banks, and Bear for joining me on this fine evening and everyone listening who stuck around to the end. Please show our panelists some love. Check out their links in the show notes. Remember to check out that combined Discord where you can trade with Bob and Banks live every Friday morning on the free side and listen in live to these recordings. You can even compete in our Friday end period challenges. We'll be back soon with another exciting episode, hopefully as uh, impressive as Eric's hatred of bricks. But until that day, smash that five-star rating and have a great day. (laughs) This podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It does not constitute financial or investment advice and should not be construed as such. The hosts, guests, and contributors of this podcast are not licensed financial advisors, brokers, or professionals. Any trading or investment decisions made based on the content of this podcast are solely at the listener's discretion and risk. Trading and investing in financial markets carry inherent risks and past performance is not indicative of future results. Listeners should conduct their own research and seek advice from qualified financial professionals before making any financial decisions. The views, opinions, and information shared in this podcast are those of the individual contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of the podcast creators or associated organizations. Produced by China Shop Productions.